So you want the behind-the-scenes Bassmaster scoop? Well, you've come to the right place, because this week... We have another Jake's take with Bassmaster cameraman Jake LaTondres, who just happened to be on the boat of the dude that cooked the competition, the newest Elite Series champion, Drew Cook. This week on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all, and happy hump day to all of you. Uh, every single week I'm at an event and many people come up and tell me they are humpers. And people that don't understand give us kind of a weird look, but I am proud to see all the humpers that show up to elite series events and different events that I'm at. And I thank you very much for going out of your way to tell me that you listen to the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast. It is Wednesday. I hope your week is going well. Everybody that was involved in the Elite Series event is wondering how the hell is it Wednesday already because it obviously ended a day later than usual. So for the rest of the week, our week is going to be off. But uh, what's not going to be off is this show. We have an incredible episode. Jake's take, as we have always after every single Elite Series event, we got Jake's take with Jake Latondres, Bassmaster camera, camera guy extraordinaire. And he just happened to be on the back deck of Drew Cook's boat for three out of four days of competition. So an extra sneaky, extra juicy Jake's take this week. And the guy I just talked about, the newest Elite Series champion, Drew Cook. Yeah, I know you've seen him on other podcasts. Pretty much every other podcast there is as they chase the champion. But we're going to talk to him with Jake Latondra. It's going to make a pretty cool conversation. But as all our conversations are, they're long. So rather than me babbling along, hey, make sure you like this because it makes a big difference and it makes more people watch us. If you're watching on YouTube, like it. If you're watching on one of the streaming apps, make sure to uh, give it a stars or a review. And um, we'll keep doing cool shows like this. Speaking of which, let's jump right into it right now with Jake's Take. Jake Latondres, we're doing this again. It is Jake's take, and I am proud to announce that you have a record of three and one right now. Three and one. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I d I've never, I've never heard of this in the cameraman trailer. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm starting it. I'm starting it. Will it cause problems? Should I stop it? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I, I mean, I mean, the thrill of winning, even as a camera guy. Yeah. is is exhilarating and it's not competitive even though you know we're all we're all athletes or, or sportsmen or whatever and we have this i wouldn't say you're all athletes Let's well we're 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 inner competitive we're inner competitive because yes, yes, we're sportsmen yeah okay. and 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 so you know when when your guy wins i i get super jacked up everybody knows that by now i mean i man i'm like i'm a hugger i'm a high fiver i'm a knuckler all that stuff and you know to me it it, it makes me feel it makes me feel more important than i am when i get the interaction from the anglers you know like like we do when we get fired up and hopefully that you know that energy sort of um uh, synthesizes through the angler and creates this chemistry when we're on the water, you know? Yeah. 
But I think I think what we've explained about your relationship with people, I honestly I've been thinking about it a lot. I think it kind of explains what's happening at the Elite Series right now. It's not just the relationship you have. Like when we get finished with a good event, um, people congratulate each other like it really is. a. And I don't just mean people who win. Like, I mean, every facet of the company. Um, And it's kind of a it's a very, very cool, cool um, time, I would say, in our in our world. I think even, you know, the guys that, that come off the stage after uh, Championship Sunday, in this case, Championship Monday, but, you know, when they come off the stage and they're back there, I mean, let, let's take Brandon Polinick, for instance. He what, he comes to every event, whether he, he doesn't make the cut yeah. or he makes the cut, which he typically does, but he's there and he wants to get a photo of, of the, the, the new winner that day and that said to me that says a lot about uh, like you just said the entire Bassmaster family and how close we really are and then the other guys that are in the top 10 that are back there at the tanks you know either talking to media or waiting on the champ to come out with his trophy to congratulate him there's other people back there like the staff and and some of the crowd that are congratulating all those people. And while you may have seen it before, it's, it's much more fresh and there's just a, it's a completely different feel now. And I love it. I'm just, I'm tickled to death with, with how everything's going on, you know, going down right now. Yeah. It's been fun and it's crazy. I mean, we had a giant crowd. It's pretty well documented, even on the Monday when the venue wasn't even open, it it was a good crowd like that showed up. It, so it just keeps getting better and better. I mean, and there's so many reasons on paper where you would say, Oh, we've been here before. Somebody told me you've been this, your second event in South Carolina in a row with the classic being a few weeks ago, uh, you won't get a crowd and the crowd gets bigger and bigger every time. So it's, it's really cool to see the industry rallying around bass, I would think. Um, but let's jump right into, cause you, you know, we're going to make all sorts of hoopla about you being with the winner once again. <laughs> but you started the week with the winner that did not continue being the winner, I guess. So uh, you, you, got to, you got to be in the boat with Jason Christie on day number one. A much different situation than the last time you were in the boat with him. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. What do you say about that? And what do you say, you know, at the end of a day like that, what do you say to the guy, you know, your, your angler, Jason, in that case, I really didn't know what to say. It was a tough, it was tough for him. You could tell, you know, coming out of takeoff that, you know, he's, he's exhausted. I mean, he was completely exhausted media every day over and over again, really telling the same story over and over again, because it's podcasts yeah. or interviews, whatever it is. And, um, you know, he, I just think, I don't even know. It's something that's unexplainable. And the only person that could probably answer the question as to how that actually felt, how difficult it is to come back from, um, would be Jason Christie. That, it was a tough day, but I will tell you this, when he was, you know, when he was weaving in and out of the the, the thick, deep cypress trees yeah. where he was fishing, that was a, an experience that I've never had before. And while I was looking around for cotton mouths half the time, most of the time I was waiting for that that bite to start because he had actually gotten onto a bite the after last hour or two of his of day three of his practice. Um, 
session, he got onto a frog bite in those trees. Um, it, he just, it just never, it never turned on again during the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think what he, I mean, it's easy in retrospect, if he had a, taken that momentum and wanted it, it's a whole different story. But uh, I think what he dealt with is something that very few people ever deal with really like um, usually there's more time after the classic, you get a bit more of a uh, recoup. I mean, he hadn't been home since before the Florida events. So he's been gone the entire season. And I think that um, I just think he was exhausted. Like, and I'm not making excuses for him, but I, I just think like, I don't think people understand. And I think you also have to understand what the classic meant to him. Like a lot of people have talked about his celebration on the stage was almost more like a weight lifting from him. So to go through that all emotionally and then to, to be back competing, uh, I don't think it's as easy as people say. Um, and they, or I, I don't think people think about what they're going through. You know what I mean? Like I'm, there's an, there's a recovery from the Bassmaster Classic, and all I do is MC it. So I couldn't imagine like, and and he's thankful for every bit of it, I'm sure. But just getting right back into it um, as quick as as we did this year around. But Christy's scary now. Now all of a sudden, you know, Angler of the Year doesn't matter. None of that matters. He's just gonna try win every single friggin' tournament moving forward. I would imagine. I think he needed space. I actually talked to him this morning, pretty early this morning via text. And, uh, you know, he just, I could just tell by the way he was responding to my text back and forth that he was, you know, he's on social media again. I saw him on my stories, you know, he, uh, I saw him on, on my post and I feel like that is a sign that he's been able to, he got home, I don't know, a couple of days ago, maybe, and his family and friends had a party for him. They lined his driveway with signs. Cool, yeah. you know, it was like a welcoming, a welcome back party um, and way to go champ party for him. And I think he's had time to finally, you know, just settle down, be alone, uh, maybe with Shanna at home and and take a deep breath and, and recoup. And I think, I think you're right, you know, coming out of the gates now, he's going to be scary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you look at every other sport, you know, they get a decompression time, but in this sport, and especially in this season, they didn't. So uh, not to nag on, on Jason Christie, he still is the Bassmaster classic champion. And on, you know, he says to me, he said to me actually on this show, he said, uh, when I call him the most feared angler, he says, I kind of sucks. Like when I'm catching him, he loves it. But when, he, when he's not catching, but here's the truth, what I told him, He's still just as feared. I mean, he may have weighed in one fish in this tournament after winning the classic, but you ask any angler on tour and he's just as, as scary a critter as he was before this. I mean, I think everyone, and I mean, everyone gave him a free pass after the classic as we, you know, rolled into Santee Cooper. I think everyone, all the comments you read on, you know, the comment sections on podcasts or on, on social media, whoever's, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of posts about him and you read through those comments and everybody said, Hey man, go get some rest champ. You deserve it. And I think, I think that says a lot about what people how people understand at least as much as they can from a spectator uh, spectator's perspective, how exhausting that must be. And for him to go from that high to let, let's just, I don't know what else, uh, how else to 
describe it to that low tells you everything you need to know about what happened. It was just, it was overwhelming. And, but I will tell you this fishing through those cypresses, like we were like, that was a really, really cool experience. And one of the things that I learned from okay, you Jason, stop for a second, okay. you got to lock your hands down. Okay. Am uh, I because freezing I have, up? Yeah, I think I think okay. it causes issues at time. I mean, but but I mean, Just, if it doesn't, at least okay. So try try talk without your hands. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that I learned about how he was fishing those trees was when he did catch, he caught that one fish, and I think it was a five pounder, and it was a big blow up. Yeah. And 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 it was in areas that were site specific within it was like a microcosm within a micro environment within a macro environment i mean it was like all the locations that he was targeting had the same elements and same variables that he had to look for to find those fish so whether it had something to do with you know their spawning site-specific spawning habits or whatever it was it was really uh, interesting how acute the environment was where he caught that fish and where he said, and he had other bites. I mean, he actually had yeah. enough bites to bring in five fish that day. They just weren't, they weren't choking the frog. You know, they were just nosing it or, or blowing up on it, but, but it was like, they weren't eating it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure he'll be, he'll be scary at chick. we we'll move forward. Oh, so on yeah. day, day okay. two, um, lo and Drew behold, Cook. you're, you're paired with a guy who weighed in. 31 pounds the day before unbelievable yeah i mean i mean as an overall as the big picture you know comes into focus how awesome is santi cooper lakes i mean that is that is insane yeah <laughs> let's have a classic there i mean that oh. would be incredible and and here's the thing about drew i've always cut on him for you know we kind of joke with each other and it's pretty public that like if you look day two three and four he is incredible, his record, but his day one record is weak because he seems to have struggled on day one in certain situations. But to me, that shows that he's a really good angler and he knows how to adjust and he does, you know, he puts the plan together as it goes on. So it's not a slight on him, but he told me on the dock, you know, on day one before takeoff, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to fix that problem. I'm going to catch him on day one this time around. And we kind of joked and, and boy, did he ever freaking catch him. Um, was he pretty fired up when you, you know, obviously you didn't spend any time with him on day one when you got in a boat with him on day two, uh, what was the vibe? Yeah, I think he was ready to go. I don't know. You know, they all, I think we, we talked about this before. They all have this inner way of staying calm because they don't want to get too excited, especially on day one or day two, even day three going into, you know, a championship, they have to figure out how to, how to keep their, center of calmness you know centered and balanced because or else they'll, they'll wind up spinning out so i think you know when i got in the boat with drew that morning he was he was very calm i think he was ready to go because things including you know the weather patterns and the way the bite was going things were setting up in his favor yeah. so that he could fish the way he wants to and fish the way he grew up bass fishing yeah. um and I think that was really, really key, a key element. And he even said it in the boat one day that, you know, this is setting, this is like once in a lifetime tournament for an angler where things set up, you know, the way you want it to set up. 
and you know it proved to be a it proved to be a, a winning a winning strategy or winning thought anyway. Uh, I mean, it was an incredible victory, and and he like you said it that's his thing. I mean, that is um, that's what he's best at, and and to have it all line up to go wire to wire is I mean, it's so rare to have it happen, and especially in a sight fishing tournament. Generally, a sight fishing tournament, I mean, you get several people who will get a big lead early. And then they kind of stick handle their way to the victory. But I mean, at Santee Cooper, you have to catch them every freaking day, clearly, as uh, as everybody proved. Why do you think outside of just the simple, that's what he's best at? There's a lot of really good side anglers. I mean, Drew Benton being another one. But what do you think was so special about Drew Cook's area and his approach this week? I think it was more, I mean, he obviously found the right location, but I think more than that, um, it was his patience and his ability to stay patient and read the fish. He is so good at that shallow water bed fishing. And he knows, like he knows, he can tell what kind of mood the fish are in. He knows where to pitch the bait. And he's got that little, you know, that vibrating technique that it, it's an old technique, but you don't see that many people using it for some reason. I hated it every time I was on live. It's like, <laughs> why? Well, it's and I'm gonna stop, stop showing the shake because most people will not commit the way he like his shake. And then the greatest, uh, the greatest comment ever he actually sent it to me was by somebody on YouTube. Uh, I won't repeat it actually. While I'm thinking through, I should stop talking now. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> they were going to sh- do that to a particular part of their body that yeah. evening. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I heard that one too, like shake it more than once or whatever, <laughs> but he, uh, he was, he, he was so patient and, you know, obviously this time, that time of year with what was going on, the male bass would get in the way. 90% of the time, the male would get in the way, right? But he knew how to handle that situation too, which a lot of them do. Um, but he was really specific about how he handled those, you know, everybody calls them bucks, how he handled the buck fish um, on the bed. And it would provide him the opportunity to at least, you know, turn the female on or allow the female to come back on the bed and get aggressive or at least cooperative with what he was doing. And I mean, it was, it was fascinating to watch him um, fish the way he was. So how, how did he handle it different than other anglers? When you, when you like, is it just expertise? Like he can read them quicker or. Or he would pitch the bait he would spot the female, keep his eye on the female, pitch his bait into a specific location off the bed, literally stand there like a statue and wait for the female to make a move or the buck to swim off. And then he would make his move. And if you go back and watch the replay of the event, the playback on YouTube, you can see where he would, he would stand there uh, completely, you know, like a statue. And then, he would start vibrating his rod or moving his bait when the the female made the move that he wanted her to. And, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't even touch his rod until that happened. So, you know, I mean, you know, you get to fish, you only get to fish with so many anglers during that process in a year because things progress and move on. So I haven't, I haven't fished with a ton of people, you know, on, on beds like that, but 
you know, comparatively speaking, what he was doing seemed different to me. Did yeah. it not to you? Yeah, he just seemed expert at it, too, to me. Like, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, he had a calm about him. Like, you would hear, and I heard several anglers throughout the week, like, say about how I need to go get, or I'll catch that buck, or I'll catch, you know, just to have the faith. And it, where he didn't need to, you know, like, he just dealt with the bucks. Like, I mean, several times I saw him, you know, and he's like, okay, the bucks got it. And you can see he's leading that fish, and he's like, if he spits it out right now, she'll eat it, you know, and, exactly. it, and it, and it happened uh, several times and you'd see other people who had a different look on it. You know what I mean? They'd be like, Oh, well it didn't eat while the buck was there. So I'll catch the buck and see if that makes a difference. And sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. He just seemed very committed to what he was doing. And I mean, basically it was like, I equated it to it's like watching the Johnsons on the St. Lawrence River. Uh, you're seeing somebody who is best at something at the time of year when that is all best. It's coming together. And, and to me, it, it was it was just perfect watching the way he fished. I mean, he he didn't worry about distractions. You know what I mean? Even as the day went on and and I, I wondered on the final day because, you know, it was up till 1030 that he wasn't getting fish. But it went later on the final day. He got that one good one early. But I wondered, would we start to see him spin out? And uh, he, I mean, I'm not shocked, though. He's a very, like, the only personality trait he has that I've ever worried about. And I tell him that. He's a horrible loser. Like, he hates <laughs> to lose, which is tough when you're in a sport that 90% of the time you're going to lose. Um, but uh, he, uh, he was the person I thought he would be, you know what I mean, in, in that moment. You know, the two variables that I noticed on a daily basis that were not necessarily distractions, but perhaps could have been distractions. And, and one was one he both were both were things that he couldn't control. One were, were locals. There were lots of locals yeah. on the lake that were fishing. And, you know, as a, as put with, as as far as public relations go, I mean, it is, it's public water. You can't do anything about it. You don't want to do anything about it because you want to be a gentleman and a, a good sport about everything with a positive attitude. Plus you can't let that, you know, you can't let that get into your brain and eat your, eat your, eat your mind and, and cause a distraction that throws you off your, off your game. But that was definitely, you know, unusually uh, frequent this event relative to most events that I've that I've worked and the other one was was you know his his timing he before needed, you go to Simon tell me about the day was it day two when somebody caught like a six right in front of him and ended up mm -hmm. taking a selfie with him in the background and it, like I mean it and I know there's people listening to this that are like, well, whatever, it's free water. But just think about that. Like, just think about it in any other sport. What these guys put up with is insane. Um, but tell me what really happened, because I didn't see it. I mean, we talked about it on live a little bit, but nobody saw it like you guys saw it. Yeah, so when we pulled into that, that little uh, cove in Potato Creek, Chad Pipkins, um, Corey, John Corey Johnson was already pulled down, locked on a fish. Chad was kind of searching around in the back end of the lilies. And then there was a local boat and there were two guys in the boat. They were fishing. And then we, we were just, uh, 
you know, idling in and towards uh, a bed that Drew had left a fish on the day before. Yeah. And so these two guys, they, I, my first thought was, wow, they're fishing really close to Chad Pipkins. Like they were 20 yards from him, literally. And I just thought that's got to be distracting to him. And then lo and behold, they sort of turn towards us as, as Drew's going towards the bed that, that he was targeting yeah. and these guys catch a sixth pounder and actually drew didn't see it. He was looking down, he heard it. And then he looked up and he looked back at me and I was just, you know, I like shrugged my shoulders. I'm like, I don't know, dude. So the first thing I did was zoom in on those guys and drew yeah. decided he was just going to go past him. He wasn't going to get distracted. He wasn't going to get, you know, misled into, uh, going, to find a different bed. He, he, he stayed on course and we came within probably 10 yards of their boat and they were holding this bass. The guy that caught it was holding the bass up and his partner was taking uh, photo selfies of him. And so, you know, that was talked about on live and, and it was just one of those moments when we rolled by Drew said, uh, Hey, you guys got a big tournament going on this weekend or something. <laughs> so it was, it was, you know, he made light of the situation when he could have gone the other direction. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, you got to commend these, these professional anglers uh, for doing when, when, you know, things could go, things could go really, really wrong at that moment. Yeah. I wonder, wonder why it was so bad this weekend. Maybe it's just time of year and people want to be out there and it was incredible weather, but I, like I saw a video of swindle, and there was a boat literally doing circles. And as soon as he arrived in the area, he was that they did like three giant circles to try and screw up the area. So I, I don't know why it was so bad this time around, but um, I, I would say I would I would say this about the public that most of the time, 90 percent of the time or even oh, higher, 95 yeah. percent of the time when you pull up to a spot and there's some locals fishing there. They literally reel their bait in, put it on the deck and wave at the pro and say, man, come on in or whatever it is. Yeah. And they wave them in and say, I'm, you know, I think they feel bad. They just didn't know any better. They didn't know an angler was going to yeah. come to that spot. And maybe it's a, you know, it's a historical spot that people catch bass on all the time. So most of the time people are really good about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And totally that, but that's what made this stand out is so weird. Because there were several exactly. instances where people were talking about it. But uh, I think you did the best thing, to be honest, is zoom in on them. Um, because we're never going to know who they are. But guaranteed, there's some of their friends watching. And um, they usually take care of it. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have a community with the kind of local support that we had in that community. Like, giant crowds, even on a day when we're not open on Monday. Um that support it. So, I mean, um, I'm sure that guy's got some texts or some people saying what's wrong with you or, or maybe they think he's a rock star. Okay. So outside of that, um, you were talking about timing, I think before yeah, I interrupted you, but let me go back to that. Those okay. just real one, real quick comment drew like an hour and a half later, drew came back to that same exact bed and caught that same fish that those guys caught and released. People don't realize that he did that, but he did. I mean, you could see the, you know, the, where the hook was in its mouth, everything. And he weighed and it, that fish in. Yeah. It was five and I a mean, half was, pounds. Yeah. We thought it was six. It was five and a half, or at least he said it was five and a half pounds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, which I thought, which I thought said a lot about Drew's confidence and 
and his understanding of the fish and what they're going to do. And he said it, he said like an hour later, he said, I'm probably going to go back to that bed and try to catch that fish that those, those uh, guys caught. And he did that was, so I thought that was a really, I don't necessarily know that that was a turning point, but it was definitely a, a highlight that people didn't, it was a nugget that people didn't see or understand, but now you do. <laughs> yeah. He did that a few times on this weekend though. Didn't he like not maybe five and a half pounders, but there was a male that he caught a few times that I had heard of. Is that true? Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't know if we want to get into that and do this day by day or talk about some of the highlights because there were some things that he did. Brandon Cobb, I talked to him at the dock um, on on day four that, you know, he did some of the same things. And, I, you know, I think there it's interesting about really the the DNA and the biology of largemouth bass and, and how locked into the spawn they really are. And it goes, you know, it sort of carries over into some of the comments that I read on YouTube or on posts on social media about, you know, people, people, just your everyday fishermen complaining about weighing fish, taking fish from, you know, a, a spawning location, a bed to the weigh-ins and then turning them loose because it throws them off. And I have a theory about that based on things that I've seen as a cameraman, you know, watching guys uh, catch fish on beds. You want to talk about that now? Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. It. It's, it's really interesting. So, okay. so Drew, uh, you know, there was one time when he was, he caught a seven pounder, which, which was a highlight, but there was a bigger fish, which was probably nine, 10 or 11 pounds, um, that was on the same bed. And there was a buck. So there was two big females and one buck on the bed. Well, the buck kept getting in the way. And one of the females was more they aggressive than the other. Yeah, they always the, get in the way. The guys always get in the way. Yeah, that's right. I, I thought that a lot too. <laughs> so, so the 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 buck would take the bait and literally swallow or or mouth it, and Drew would put just enough tension on it to pop its lips to get the buck to let go of it. And he kept saying, "Man, if he would just let go of it now, it would hop out. He would hop it out of his mouth." And the, one of that female would probably eat that bait before it even hit the, hit the bottom. It's just and reactionary. Exactly. So that didn't occur. So he finally just caught the buck. He's like, man, I got to get rid of him or I'm going to spend way too much time on these fish. Yeah. So he catches the buck. He puts it in the live oil. It's like a three pounder. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those fish that could be a borderline, you know, limit bag fish. Yeah. So he put it in the well. And he goes back and starts fishing for these two. Really, he wanted to obviously catch the bigger of the two females. And neither one of them, uh, both of them sort of turned off and they just changed their behavior. There was no aggression, no cooperation. So, and this, this was like 20 or 30 minutes of fishing for these two fish. He says, man, and he had four fish in his live well at the time. And it was late in the morning. It wasn't late in the day, but it was late in the morning. Yeah. He's like, man, I'm going to turn that buck loose and see what happens. So he goes back to the live well. He unclips, unclips the float, puts it back in the water. Within, within a minute, the buck was back on the bed and he catches, he hooks it, it, it turns the females on and he ends up catching the seven pounder. And that, 
bigger fish ends up swimming off, but his strategy to turn that fish loose, turn that female on, and he caught, he ends up catching a, a seven pounder, right? So relating that, I was at the, that was on, was that, that was day two. And on day four, I was over talking to Brandon Cobb before takeoff. And he goes, dude, I caught a male in like, like early that morning, went to a female on bed, couldn't get her to go. This is like miles away from where he caught the male. He grabs the male out of his live well, turns it loose miles away from the bed that he was on. He said that buck went straight to that bed, caused Guys a reaction. Don't care. Guys don't care. No, that's exactly. It, that's exactly. Love the one you're with. That's right. <laughs> Who cares what Bard's in, right? <laughs> Love the one you're with. So he and within and literally goes straight to that bed, turns a female on, and he catches a female. I mean, wow. is that cool or what? I've never heard that. Like I have heard a lot of stories about people letting an actual fish they caught and and the fish changes, and that all makes sense. But um, it just goes to prove, no matter what the species, when when there's the opposite sex around, uh, they all act different. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, that's wild. That's wild. Yeah, that I've was, never heard of someone doing that. Yeah. So, you know, matching Brandon uh, Cobb's uh, story up to Drew Cook's was, I mean, it, it, I was just like, wow, that's, that's really cool. But, you know, we were talking about the timing earlier of Drew's bite and Drew had, you know, really had two hours, probably didn't start. His bite didn't really start um, till 10 a.m. or 10 30 a.m., it's not that his bite wasn't there. He just couldn't see the fish because yeah. he needed the sun to, to, to see the beds and see how the fish reacting. So, and I think people underestimate how much lack of sun also helps you too. Like it, it, we had sun for the final three days of the tournament. We didn't really on day one, but that also allowed you, if you saw, he caught him quicker in day one, but I think a lot of people caught him quicker in day one, because when you don't have any sun, you get rid of that twilight light that allows you not to see. So um, it's either you want one or one or the other, but definitely I think that's why he caught him better on day one. And probably he had a bunch of fish that he had found in pre-fish, I would assume. And um, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he had them located. Yeah. You know, he, he, he actually did uh, one specific thing. I think it was on day. I think it was on day three. No, no, I'm sorry. He did on day two. He took a, a, a floating crankbait that didn't have any hooks on it. He tied a two or three foot piece of monofilament on there, put an ounce or two ounce weight on it because he wanted to mark his bed and, and he wanted to come back to it. But it was in this thick lily uh, pad location. So marking it on your GPS and actually finding the yeah. bed are two very different things, right? When you get within 10 yards of it, you could be off one way or another and not see the bed, especially if it's cloudy or, or early in the morning or whatever. So he marks it with this, with this floating crankbait, like a, like a, like a bobber. Right. And he came back. So day three got canceled. Um, so there was a whole, a full day, you know, <laughs> for him. his crankbait out there waiting. But, <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But he did. He, he went back. He went back to it and actually, and that he, he thought that was a six pound fish. He didn't catch that fish, but 
what happened was he pulled up to it and instead of going up to it and getting risking uh risking getting too close to it he just pulled down he saw the crankbait and and long pitched to the bed and literally hooked up on his first pitch and had the fish on for a second and, and got it to the surface and then his line got caught up in a lily pad stem and the fish came off and you, but you could tell it was a big fish, the female. And so that was another one of those strategies. Again, you know, Drew was a master at executing his plan and understanding what he was doing, um, to the, the highest level of expertise there was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've seen people use tomato steaks and different things to mark beds, uh, everyone's got their own thing, but I mean, a tomato steak, everybody else can see. And it's kind of, but it's amazing. Exactly. Like you imagine, I would just imagine won't be going through my head on the day that was canceled. Like I left a crankbait out there floating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. It. Um, so did he do that anywhere else or was just that one fish? That was the one, one fish, but he had so many beds that he had marked, you know, it was like, when things turned off in one area, he never, he never, you know, he never spun out. I mean, he always, he just went to the next area and searched and did lots of searching. And, you know, that's where bass fishing becomes bass hunting. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it was a, a really cool experience. He just, you know, put his rod under his arm, kick his troll motor up to 10 and literally cruise through these bedding flats until he found a fish or some sort of sign that you know that made him decide he was going to pull down and, and work on that bed and it was windy a couple of times where he couldn't see the bed so he was blind casting but he knew where the beds were so you know and sometimes he caught fish it might be a, a you know a five or six pound female it might have been a two and a half or three pound male but you know you could tell that his strategy was working and it just continued to work it never it never left i mean i'm not saying he caught fish on every bed even on beds where there were fish that he could see but he wouldn't spend too much he did a couple times but he wouldn't spend too much time on these fish he would just move on um, how to long the next do you location. think he spent like surveying a fish and like of the ones that he said hey it's uncatchable we're moving how long did it take him to make those decisions? Most of the time, I think it probably took 20 to 30 minutes um, of. So it's a big you know, time commitment. Uh, 100%. I mean, two of those is an hour. Four of them is yeah. two hours, you know. And I mean, if it's 12 o'clock and it's two o'clock all of a sudden and you just spent time, you know, trying to catch two fish in two hours or three fish in two hours, it's a lot of time. Day four. He, he marked a big male, like a four and a half, five pound male that was guarding fry under a big lily pad. And he spent a lot of time trying to catch that fish because he couldn't find any more females on bed in that one pocket up Potato Creek that he was on. So, and he, he made mention of that to me. Uh, and he's like, man, I got, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And every time he would say that, that male would make sort of an aggressive move and it would, you know, it's been back in. <laughs> it's like, it was like, okay, this is my last cast. And then he would get bit and he would spend another hour trying to catch something that he didn't know it was there or not, you know? Yeah. Um, so that was really one fish that he spent probably too much time on was that big male guarding the fry. 
Yeah. It's like an old lady playing slots. I always but you know what I mean? And everybody who's played slots, I don't know why I'm picking on old ladies, old people or young people of all ages play um, <laughs> slots. But, uh, you know, you, you're sitting there and you're, and you're pulling and you're like, and then all of a sudden they suck you in by like, you get two sevens in a row and you're like, I almost had it, which you're no closer than you were before, but it feels like you're almost there. And then you continue to do it. But at some point you either win or you better get up and walk away because that another old lady's going to come and put her quarter in and she's going to get it and it'll drive you crazy for the rest of your life. But it is definitely an emotional commitment, you know, like they, you, and if you get too personal, that's when you hear people getting screwed up by it. I think too, one of the things that keeps them there, especially on day one and two, where there's so many boats out there, particularly when they're, when they're crowded there, they know if they leave a bed, another angler is going to move over there and try to catch that fish. So a lot of times they're playing defense as much as they are offense. Yeah. It seemed like a lot of fish, would move back on a bed. Even if you caught the fish off a bed, there's another fish come move up or, you know, I, I, I saw several anglers this week that they were like, you know, they caught the fish and they went back. And then like, by the time they got there, there was another fish had moved up to take that bed. Did you guys experience that? Oh my goodness. That to me was what made me say, wow, about the Santee Cooper lakes was that there were so many, so many big females replenishing these beds or, or even males. I mean, and I think, you know, that cancel the weather advisory cancellation that we had on day three, Drew may disagree with this. I don't know. It may be a good question to ask him, but I felt like that day, like replenished a lot of beds and a lot of things because no, there was no pressure out there. Maybe there were some locals out there, but the lack of pressure, I think, helped because when we came back uh, on day three, there they were again on on the beds where he had caught females and removed females. There was another female on that bed. Wow. Davey said that in day one of the tournament to me. And I mean, Davey has a place right there. He knows that body of water really well. And Davey said, if on Santee Cooper, if they are coming to you, like if you were in a spot where they're betting and they're and they're continue he says you can't run out of fish you literally exactly. and he said it didn't even matter he said if there's pressure from other boats he says if you are in the right spot in this body of water they won't stop coming and it definitely seemed like he was right in that department not just with drew but with a bunch of anglers i i remember i remember listening to that part of the conversation that you guys had um on on live and i remember thinking, wow, this is very true. And Drew is in one of those funnels. It's like, he's like a hoop net and these fish just keep coming to him, you know, but it's really interesting because on, on uh, jumping ahead on day four, you know, he ran out of fish like in his pocket where he caught 31 pounds and then he caught 24 pounds. And then there was a day off and he came back uh, on day, f- and then he caught twenty another twenty four pounds on day three. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he caught one. He he. Ironically enough, on day four he goes in there and he kept talking about man, you know, I haven't caught that random fish yet, and it's something Jason Christie talked about during the classic. You know, sometimes they just pitch a bait out there 
you know, while they're trolling to keep a bait in the water. And they always count on catching that one random fish that they weren't expecting. So he rolls in there and he pitches, I think he had a wacky rig on. He pitches it out there blindly and he catches a three and a half or four pounder. No, no, no. It was a five. I think it was a five and a half pounder. That was his first fish, which ironically came before the sun came up. And so he started his day four with a five or five and a half pounder in the well. And that got him going. But then in that same pocket, he ran out of, he ran out of bedding fish. I mean, he, he literally, you know, strained it. it. It was done and and he could tell. So he moved on and then he, he started, you know, tracking down other locations. The wind started to kick up. So he was trying to figure out where he could go to get out of the wind. That might be one of those locations where maybe no one had been for a couple of days um, I, you know, I don't really know what was going through his head, but when he pulled up into that back pocket on day four, which I don't know if we want to talk about that yet or not, but something really, really magical happened. Well, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we have an order to this. I mean, we're not near as organized as you may perceive. Uh, <laughs> so what happened? What would tell me about the magic? Yeah. So he pulled up to this stump. What people are marked. tuning in for Jake. They don't care about all the other stuff. <laughs> they don't care what time. We have to go back <laughs> to day two after this. So he pulls up to this submerged stump and it was near this single cypress tree. And it was when in that big location where Brandon Polinick was fishing a little offshore and deeper water. Yeah. Corey Johnston was way back up in this. It's a bigger pocket just around the corner from where he was. And I think it was about I think it was about one, one thirty. that afternoon on day four, he pulls up to this stump and he's like, he cr- he crouches down like crouching tiger, hidden dragon or crouching dragon, hidden tiger, whatever it is. He, he crouches down crouching and grabs tiger, his hidden push. bass. Yeah. And, and, and grabs his push pull, pulls down. And this is something else that Drew is really, really good at. He uses his power poles to spring back. Yeah. Okay. I watched it happen a lot. Yeah. yeah. And he knows, like he knew how to time that when he would kick his poles down where his momentum would be going forward. He pulled down his, his power poles would grab and then spring him backwards. And as it did that, he would lift his poles back up. So it would sneak him back away from a bed that he got too close to without having to hit his trolling motor and spook those fish. And I thought that was brilliant. And I'm sure a lot of people do that. That was really the first time I had seen someone do that. And, and I was impressed by that technique. And he used it over and over again on day two, day three, and day four. So he pulls up to this. Those little things are things that people, you know, if you really want to know what happens on the elite series, I mean, they cast just like everybody else. They, you know, they They may be better than some. (laughs) Yeah. They backlash. They, they lose fish. They screw up. But, but every little detail, like, you know, the average person doesn't think about that and put that into perception, you know, KJ queen, you know, he was on the show last week and he talked about how he never, 
takes his foot off the trolling motor pedal. Like he'll just dial the speed down. So it's gradual as opposed to that sudden off. You know what I mean? Like that they pay attention to, they pay attention to the size of their bobber stopper. It's every minute little detail, whether it saves them time or makes them more efficient. That is what being an elite series angler entails. A hundred, a hundred percent. It's all about details, the knots, the, the retying, you know, getting caught up or, or casting into cables, understanding, you know, every cast could be the next winning fish or pivotal point in a tournament and they retie because of it. All those little details matter. And so, you know, when he pulls up to this stump and, and then spring loads himself back with his power poles, he grabs his, his push pole and he pushes himself he used his push pole not necessarily to move back, but to change angles. So he would shift the bow of his boat to a 45 degree angle so he could see better. And again, yeah. that's one of those details that that you know he paid attention to that put him in position to be able to cast it at certain fish properly, even if it was like he would see a little lane in the in the lily pads where he could when he would pitch his line wouldn't be uh you know uh, uh hanging over a lily pad where if he did hook up that could be a situation i mean it might as well be a cable or a, a rope on a dock at that point cuz a lot of times you know it always goes into that little that little crease in the leaf and it catches the line and then it gets tangled up in the stem and boom, the fish comes off. So it's the a hole yeah. of the lily pad. I, I that's right. It nicely. That that's time. right. <laughs> that's right. So there's, he pulls up to the stump and finally when he, you know, he's standing up on his trolling motor mount with his left foot, his right foot is on the highest graph. He's got three graphs on the front of his boat. I love how you're not allowed to build a ladder or a platform, <laughs> but all our anglers are turning their graphs. Like, when is a mount going to come out that's just stair feet step? Up? <laughs> yeah, or an escalator. <laughs> uh, so he's got his right foot on his on his top graph, so he can see better. And 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 he goes, "Oh my God, they're swimming everywhere!" And I I. I put my, my polarized sunglasses on at that moment. I wear them on the top of my, on my hat and I just pulled them down so I could see. And there were five big bass swimming around that stump, like a five pounder, a four pounder, two, seven pounders, and then a much bigger one. And it looked like Jurassic park because this old stump was underwater and it looked like this old, you know, this, this paleolithic, stump that had been underwater forever and there's five giant bass swimming around it ironically um, jurassic park is caleb kufal's favorite movie i asked I, he, I was trying to learn about him uh, which one is, was his favorite uh, uh everyone was his answer <laughs> i mean why why commit to one jurassic yeah. park he loves them all and he continues to be the crystal fortress of solitude gonna have to have him on this show really because we'll push him to come up with some i mean he's dude he's a great angler a great dude he's just incredibly mellow but anyways he back is. back to what you were talking about back to an aquatic jurassic, jurassic park. park which which right. this this one's probably not caleb kufal's favorite episode the way it all ends <laughs> no so so drew starts pitching in there two or three different baits 
trying everything he could to get these fish to turn on. There was, I don't think there was a male in there unless one of those, you know, four pounders was a big male, but he couldn't get those fish to turn on. And so imagine having five fish all over or close to five pounds or bigger one being a giant two seven pounders imagine being in that situation you've got an hour and a half left until you've only got i think at that point he only had three fish in the boat maybe four but they were they were small fish and he knew he needed to cull he only had 17 or 18 pounds in his well at the time so imagine having those fish within you know pitching distance of your of your rod and having to make the decision to leave those fish to go find another one right with that much time with that little time left but he does he has enough confidence and skill and and experience to pull up he, he literally just trolls right over that, that stump. I mean, I could see it and I could see the, sw- the fish swimming off. We went over, over that stump and he starts back towards the back end of that pocket where he hadn't been since day two. And, and I was there with him on day two, but there was a whole bunch of other anglers back there. So he didn't spend a lot of time. He just had like one nine pounder on a bed. So he goes back to that bed. That fish was gone, obviously, whether it got caught or, or it it had already spawned and moved on or whatever. And then he starts seeing more big fish on beds. Like these are new beds that hadn't been there before, new fish, bucks and does. And these are really big fish, not eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, ten pounders. And so he's spending. I've never heard anyone call a female bass a doe, but I mean, why (laughs) don't we? (laughs) Well, if you call it a buck, then it's got to be a doe. I hear you. I hear you. You just don't hear you just don't hear that term. And how ironic <laughs> is it for hunting? All you want is a buck. And That's right. Fishing, it's the exact opposite. Exactly. I digress. Continue. So he starts spotting all these big fish on beds and he's spending just enough time to see if that female's in the right mood or not. And literally 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, eight or nine pitches in there. And if they're not acting right, he's moving on because he doesn't have time to waste. He's running out of time at this point. He had 18 pounds. He knew he needed at least 24, you know, to, to, to put himself in position to make the other guys beat him with 30 pounds or so. Right. So then he, he pulls up to this, this one particular bed and it had, it had a really big one and he goes, Oh my God. And he literally crotches down on the front of his boat as low as he could go. I froze and I tried to stay center on the back deck because I don't want to move left to right. Cause I know that tilts the boat. It creates wake. And if he's trying to get in position with no wind, I don't want to influence the weight of the boat to go one way or another. Right. So I'm centered in the back deck on the back deck and I'm holding my shot the entire time trying to play statue. Right. So he, he, again, he does the same thing. He springs his, his boat back with his power poles. He, he gets in the right, at the right angle with his push pull pulls down and starts flipping in there going, Oh my God, this could be, this could be the one. And so he starts his little vibrating tap on his rod and out of nowhere, he swings the bat and boom. No, I think he catches the buck first and he, and he actually got the buck out of the way, pitches back in there 
And finally, this fish, which is what he thought was eight or nine pounds, um, hooks up and he swung the bat like Hank Aaron, like he normally does. And you could hear, you could hear the line go tight. You could hear the hook set like an arrow and getting shot into a tree. It was just like, boing, 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 boing. and so he hooks up and this, and this fish is blowing the lily pads up and he, it, uh, it goes to the left of the boat towards Andy Crawford, who was the only guy left, you know, the, the he was in a camera boat. He's yeah. taking photos. It goes to the right side. The light is beautiful. All this stuff goes over and, and this fish is, is plowing, plowing in two feet of water that trying to get away. And it was just, I mean, it was so exciting. I'm like, I have, I was, I was, I was like jacked when this is going on. I'm just trying to stay focused, making sure I hit record, making sure I stayed on the fish. I zoomed in on it and he finally comes to the boat and, and you know, a fish is big when the angler reaches down and doesn't thumb lip the fish, but hand lips the fish where all four fingers go in the (laughs) mouth and they grab it like they're grabbing something, you know, trying to pull a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, something big out of the water. Yeah. He lifts this thing up, and it was like, like I almost started crying because I knew I'm listening to calm. Drew doesn't know what's going on. He has no idea that Caleb Kufal is smacking them and catching yeah. some big ones, and literally in the lead with one hour to go. And he grabs his fish and pulls it out of the water. And I'm, I'm almost in tears. And when he pulls it out of the water, he literally turns around and gives me this huge hug. And, yeah. and it was an emotional, an emotional moment for me. I think it was an emotional moment for Drew. Cause I think deep down inside, he knew he needed that fish to give himself a chance. And he did. Yeah, no, I mean that, that fish and the timing of it and everything was, was wild. Um, but he felt that. I would assume for sure. I mean, he, he just knows, I mean, your head, you always play that. Well, maybe it's enough, you know, maybe I'll hold them off, but I feel like you could tell watching that he, you know what I mean? Like he was not all of a sudden. And I wouldn't say he was spinning out at all. He just knew there was a sense of urgency and, and, and it really impressed me watching him. And I don't know what you saw on your side, but watching him in those moments, that's when you see, you know, and it happens to everybody, you know, they get spun out and all of a sudden that tournament that seemed like it was once there slips away and, and this is a whole different show, but he did what all the greats do. He just kind of put his head down and worked with a sense of urgency, but, but worked towards the goal that he knew he needed. You know what I mean? He wasn't messing with smaller fish and stuff like that from what I saw. Anyways. I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this analogy before. It's a two minute drill. When you get down to that last hour and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning run a two minute drill much differently than, you know, a rookie quarterback in the playoffs that, that, that spins out and becomes inaccurate with short passes even, or the whole team spins out. And I think Drew, you know, just like Jason Christie did in the classic, Drew kept his calm. And I think what the silent, nugget that people don't understand is when he pulled into that that big that big pocket where those where Jurassic Park was I think the momentum shifted for him even though you know the viewers didn't understand that this was going on there were enough fish back there 
that gave him confidence to run his two-minute drill and not spend too much time on it because that whole place had been replenished and he knew if he just kept moving, he would find, you know, he would find a fish that was in the right mood. And that is exactly what happened. And 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 that fish, even though he caught one more fish to upgrade himself, maybe be six or eight more ounces that big fish was the winning fish because he won by what two pounds two pounds yeah 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 and and that was it i mean it was it was an incredible incredible experience and you know like you said drew knew it you could just tell he kept saying man i need one more i'd really like to catch one more to shut the door on this event but i think deep down inside if he didn't catch another one he had enough to give himself a chance to win. Yeah. And I, I've been with him when he's been close. And I don't even mean just in wins, but like, I, I remember still to this day, one of the most shocking moments that I've ever spent with him was um, at the tail end of his rookie season. He was in contention, not just for rookie of the year, which he eventually wins, obviously, um, but angler of the year. And he had one bad day, it, literally one bad day. And he was, he, I remember the look at his face and he kept saying to me, I can't believe that after an entire season, I had one bad day and I dropped that much in the standings. So I feel like he's a guy who has been close before and, and also been close to winning individual events before. And he knows like there's a, there's a part of that day that, and it happens to everybody. And it might be the very beginning of the day, might be the end of it, but there's something going to happen to you that you're going to have to work through. And, and that's what it looked like to me that he knew he was like, okay, well, here comes this part where I got to dig deep and make something happen. And, um, and, and he did. And I also didn't really doubt it at all. You know what I mean? He's so good at it. There was too many fish coming up. Like there was too many, just, just watching the entire field that, that was fishing shallow. Any of those guys, you know, it was routine that they're like, there's another one came up. There's, there was too much coming up. Like I, I knew he was going to get the opportunity. Um, one thing that stood out to me about him, and we already kind of talked about this on uh, Sunday night, I think it was when we went uh, out for dinner with a bunch of the camera crew, dude, his hook set, and everybody talks about hard hook sets and stuff like that. The ability to move big fish fast is what amazes me. If you watch any of those, and that last one is the exact opposite of that. And that actually made me a little nervous watching him fight it because he took his time with that a little more, you know, it moved around. But when he sets the hook, that fish, like four pounders come in the boat in one foul swoop. And um, I mean, Wes said it that night where even Wes Miller, who's shot everything in bass fishing, and he he was running the drone and he said there was one fish that he saw him pump in and he was like, ah, oh, it's probably a pound and a half. And then when he brought the drone down, he's like, it was a four and a half. It, it, was I seeing that right? Yeah. I mean, th that happened twice. He, he, he set the hook on one and it literally came out of the water off the bed. Not, yeah. you know, he, he didn't, he, there was no, there's no, uh, swimming towards him or any of that. He hooked it and it came out of the water off the bed and landed in the boat. <laughs> and then there was another one that just, you know, came out of the air and rainbowed, rainbowed in the air and went back in the water and he ended up landing that fish too. And both of them were four pounders. I mean, he, the, the, the thing about, the thing about these guys, and I think, you know, the analogy would be baseball. 
Guys with a sweet swing like Ken Griffey Jr. or Hank Aaron, it's bat speed, right? And it's their yeah. hand speed and their and the way they rotate their hips that that allow them to 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 crank baseballs the way they do on the sweet spot at the right time. And I think those hook sets are the same way. Bobby Lane has that big sweeping giant Hank Aaron swing, you know, and and some of them are compact. They keep the, like KVD. He keeps his hands close to his body, but it's a quick, short movement, like almost like a Mike Tyson right hook. Yeah. Right. And then you got guys like Drew uh, Cook that swing big, that that allow that you know parabolic uh, flexibility in the in the rod tip. They have a heavy backbone down low, and that flex in the rod tip, and they use the rod. To, to create that exactly yeah. what they want to so that there's tension on the line all the time. They still have the ability to, to play the fish with the rod tip. And then when they have to boat flip it in, they always grab it by the backbone. And, and while the fish is coming up, they swing it into the boat. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all calculated. Everything that they do as you know, a lot of people don't understand this. And this goes back to what you said earlier, about the details in the difference between world-class Bassmaster elite anglers and your everyday, even your, your, you know, great fishermen that never make it to that level. Those are the differences. Every single thing is calculated. That's why there's, that's why like Jason Christie said that new, uh, FF, what is that new bait he came out with? Oh, the, I don't even think they've released it yet, but the, yeah, he uh, announced the forward it, yeah. facing whatever forward facing shad or something. I think it's called. Right. Right. Even that it took him six years to develop that little bitty, two inch or three inch bait he was using took him six years to develop that because they don't want to put it out there until it's exactly right. And, and you know, that just really just goes to show you how much play the details, um, you know, matter to them. And, and you see it, you see it all the time. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think everybody shows up that dialed. I think it's the competition that forces you, to, you know what I mean? Like, oh, 100%. you just see how close you got in certain instances. And then I think over time, you know, people are like, well, this is how I'm going to do it. And that's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think all these little things that we talk about and how minute of details they pay attention to. There's plenty that show up that don't have those. But in time, they get all those because they realize that's what it comes down to. Like really at the end of the day, I mean, everybody finds fish, everybody, you need to be the most effective at it. And um, it, it'd be interesting to take a, an angler and, you know, just really pay attention to those little details in season one and then come back in season 10 or season five or four, just to see how much that angler's changed because they all do. I mean, they, they they're always evolving. You know how they talk about in football, this is a game of inches at times. Yeah. In fishing, it's a game of millimeters, literally. I mean, you're talking about tiny knots. You're talking about eight-pound, six-pound, you know, test fishing line versus 50-pound braid, how the knots, you know – how they how they tie the two different lines together, the knots on where the knot is on the on the eye of the hook, how the hooks design how the baits are are, are hooked on the hook to where 
you know, the claws on a, on a creature bait or, or sitting up when it's weight yeah. down, all those little things matter. Even, even the way Drew vibrated his rod, you know, he told me, and maybe he said this on live. I can't remember if we were on live or not, but he said, what I'm doing is with a slack line, he, he didn't have a tight line. He had a slack no. line. And, and what that does is it creates those waves, those vibrating waves down the line. And it's so minute. It looks like this, this aggressive, you know, killer oh, it's movement. He's quivering. It's like, yeah. You know? And then, but by the time that vibration gets down to the bait through that kinetic energy, all it's doing is moving the, like the, all it's moving are the feet or the tentacles on the skirt or the feet on the plastic so that this freaking thing looks like a real crawfish on the bottom and it's pissing that female off to the point yeah. to where she's like, I'm going to go eat that thing. Yeah. You know? And they feel it's, all it's those movements in their lateral line. You see the female start to get angry. You know what I mean? They'll go different directions in the master. Like Drew, you see them, you know, and then they'll stop shaking and they see how that fish reacts. And then there's little minute little spots on the bed, but, but that shake is uh, it, it's, that's the key. I mean, that's what drives them crazy. But most people, when you see how much he's moved, you have no idea how little that bait is actually moving. I mean, it's just a quiver. And it was a difference between keeping the bait in the spot that he wanted it to be on the bed versus him hopping that bait, you know, across there and then having to make pitch after pitch after pitch. And until that female is just like, that's not real. And I'm not, I'm not biting on this thing. You know, this is not good. This ain't happening. And, and, you know, uh, to your point that you made, a few minutes ago, one of the things that you can tell, one of the really, you know, uh, observations that we have the opportunity as viewers to see right now is these young guys that came up four years ago and how much they've progressed, how much they've progressed in the past three three years and four events and, and, and where they, where, how they, how consistent they've become someone like Luke Palmer, Caleb Kufal. I mean, these guys are freaking hammers and they're consistently doing well now to where you just know these blue trophies are coming. And, and, and it's all part of that where, you know, you see a young, really good college football team say, not Alabama that, that like when Clemson came up, you knew when they lost their first national championship game or even Georgia, they lost it. They were a young team. They had a young quarterback. They lost it in, in the last 30 seconds of the game or whatever it is. And, and then the game's over and Alabama wins again, but you go, you know what, you better watch out because that just made them that much more hungry to win the national championship. And they're going to do, they're going to figure out what went wrong and make it right the following year. And I think that's a lot of what's going on with these young guys now. And it is really impressive to watch. And I think so much been thrown at them so quick. Um, I feel like it takes a little while to adjust to that. And also you, the drive to succeed always comes from loss. That's what's wrong with the world today. When you have kids, everybody plays the same amount of time on this soccer team. It's horrible. I mean, you, you're never going to have a kid want to run faster if they get the same amount. You know what I mean? Like every I remember as a kid, you know, that drive of failure that drove me to become better at things. And I think on the elite series, part of that failure has to happen to these guys. They have to be close to realize 
um, not just how unique the opportunity is, but how rare the opportunity is. So when you get somebody like Drew, Drew knows that two tournaments from now, it's not going to set up exactly right the way he was. That doesn't mean he's not going to win, but this is, this is, he knows this is somewhere where I should win or I should be a player. And, and I just think that um, I just think they're getting more and more polished and, and it's just, it, it's natural. It's natural. One of the things you said to me at this event though, and, and I purposely didn't turn back and ask you about it. We kind of continued on because I was about to say, ask you. And then I said, I'll ask him that on the podcast. But as soon as I walked off the stage, I came over and saw you and, and you said, that was really emotional. What what did you mean by that? Man, I when you see some when when you know that someone may have just won the tournament catching a fish yeah. that that he used his expertise and all those things we just talked about. Everything comes when they win a tournament, it's everything comes full circle back to all the mistakes and all the failures that they went through to get to that point. Right. When, Oh man, I get choked up. I, I seriously get choked up thinking about it. I'm an emotional person and I, I wear my heart on my sleeve where everyone can see it. Cause it doesn't bother me because I mean, if you can't, dude, if you can't get choked up or if you can't get excited for someone, win or be successful like that, then, you know, you need to reevaluate yourself because yeah. you're, 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 you're thinking about yourself too much. And when, when Drew caught that, that 714 there with an hour to go, I knew at that point, I was like, dude, Unless Caleb catches another seven or eight pounder, like he's fixing to win this tournament. And I just thought, I just, I got to witness this go down, like on the front row, there is no second row. There's only one front row seat in that boat. And I just got to experience this. And I literally get choked up because I'm thankful for being there at that moment because this is a life-changing experience for Drew. And Drew's a great guy. I mean, you know, there, and, and when, when someone like that, that that comes so close so many times, has been so consistent for so long, when it finally comes together and you're there for that to happen and you get a big hug from him and – I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a, it's just an emo. It's a, it's yeah. a bond and it's an emotional moment. And when they get to stand up there and you're in the background, you know, saying the, creating these new cliches that turn into, you know, taglines um, in the bass fishing world. And, and the guy standing there in tears, holding his trophy up, like Jason did at the classic, like, like, Drew Cook did there, even John Cruz, St. John's. It had been 10 years between wins. You just can't help but be be very happy. You wish everyone could win. Everyone could feel that that feeling at that moment because it's got to be unbelievable to them of all the things that they've gone through to get there. Yeah, and, and I think working the event, I think we have a different perspective. I mean, not only are we closer with – with these guys than anybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we spend all that time together, but we look at the event from a different eye set. Like even where you were standing, you were watching the stage, but I know you were looking at his dad and I know you were looking at his son. You know what I mean? You were looking at all the different, like 
I'll be honest, like when his son, the whole time he was talking, I don't even remember what he said because I was so mesmerized by his son. Finn was like literally staring at him. And, and I'm like, I said it on the mic. I'm like, I don't know if it's possible for a kid that young to be proud, but that is the proudest young man. <laughs> like he just the way he was looking up and through, it was just I get it. It was kind of an emotional, awesome moment, but it should be. I mean, it's his first elite series win. I mean, it took him about three minutes to say, I want another one. And I'm not shocked, but um, your first elite series win should be shocking and should be emotional. And I think the fact that it was on a Monday, I have to believe like, cause I even felt it. It was on a Monday. You expect nobody to show up. And it was a good crowd there for a Monday, like to come back to shore and be like, like he knew that we were going to be on the small stage and everything by that point. But to see that many people and that many people that were connected to him show up had to be emotional too. What about the wives? Like his wife and, and every win, you know, I always look at the wife because you know, there are, t- there are days where the wife is at home, they got children or whatever it is. They've, They've spent time away from home and all the money it takes to to endure the process of getting to that level. You know, there's times where they have conversations at home like, how long can you do this before you can't do this anymore? Like, we can't afford this or whatever it is. And then when that reality comes, it's the satisfaction for them to be able to say, I did it encompasses all those little things that all those conversations that we never hear about at home or in the truck, on the road, on the phone, FaceTime with your children. You know, I mean, Jason Christie posted, I think yesterday or the day before it had been 53 days since he had been at home. Yeah. And, and like, and you put that into perspective and you're like, man, it's, it's, it's gotta be exhilarating inside for those guys. And I'm happy for all of them. Every single one of them, you know, I talked to Luke Palmer before we left on day four and he said to me, man, he goes, I hope your cameraman luck runs out this this one time. Cause you know, I got, I got a shot to win. And I started laughing and I looked at him and I, I, I gave him a high five and I said, man, I wish every one of you guys could win being in the top 10. You're all winners. You've all worked really hard to get here, but only one guy can, can hold that trophy up at the end of the day. Yeah. I find that strange about any sport. Like when you think about it, it's all the sport that you do that decides whether in fishing, everybody's happy to be in top 10, but it's all about the winner at the end. But if you're in the hundred meter dash, I mean, silver's okay. Bronze is okay. Like you get celebrated. If you drive formula one, the top three get celebrated. It's weird how it's different in certain sports, but, but watching that all come together, it was, uh, it was an awesome event. And uh, you got anything else you want to hit or should we bring in the champ? It, I, I was going to say one more thing and let's bring yeah. the champion. I think that the, the guys that don't win, even the guys that get cut 48 and lower, because I, I, you know, I have friends, we all have friends on tour and some of them went home after day two. Yeah. Right. And, and I think those, when they, when they watch, they all, a lot of them watch live when they're not, when they're not fishing. Cause they, they want to see how they unlock the lake. They want to see how the winning, what the winning equation is, all those things. And I think when they watch a winner hoist that trophy and and celebrate the way that they do, if they haven't won, or even if they have, even if they've won multiple blue trophies, 
there's that hunger continues to build inside of them and they always come back to the next tournament. They all want to win every single tournament, you know, yeah. it's, it, it, it's hunger. It's hunger. It's cool. It is very cool. It, uh, it drives them and it's, it's cool to get a front row seat of it, but, uh, nobody was hungrier. this, I mean, I guess maybe nobody's more satisfied or, I don't know how you would say he was very hungry going into it, but he is the most satisfied after it. Let's bring in our champ right now. Drew cook reunited and it feels <laughs> so good. Last time you guys hung out, uh, worked out uh, pretty good for you, Drew. How are you? I can't complain. Yeah. I think the, the, the last time me and Jake saw each other, I think I kissed him and, and gave him a massive <laughs> hug and told him I loved him. <laughs> You did. <laughs> you did tell me you love me, and I love you back, man. Really, really proud. Really proud of 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 what you did, Drew. The consistency, the the determination, all the expertise that you showed um, at Santee Cooper Lakes to win that blue trophy. And when you hoisted it up there after you know the weight or after your weight showed up, that was that was an exhilarating moment and I'm really, really, really happy for you, man. I appreciate it. It was, it was awesome, but there, there is a picture out there and I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it really shows how into it that, uh, that the camera guys are too. The second I put my hand on that 714, you automatically did like that. You got the camera in one hand, but I mean, it was it was a big deal. I mean, you knew more than I knew, uh, obviously, what I needed, but I had a good feeling that was that was exactly what the doctor ordered, and you know, it was a a very special, awesome moment. I really wish they'd have had a GoPro set up on the Megatron in the parking lot at the weigh-in to see my family go absolutely berserk. It, I heard it was pretty special. <laughs> it, it was. I mean, it, here's the behind the scenes of everything that happened during that. It's so funny, all the things that me and Jake have talked about it. But so I'm on live and and Jake tech. I mean, Jake will send me some little nuggets. I like I'll send him a little nugget throughout the day. And he texts me that you had found a big fish. I just finished live. Like I literally finished my segment. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I said, oh, I just finished my segment, but it, it actually worked out better because I had given some, which which your dad told me that he needs lottery numbers from me because I <laughs> guess at one point I'm like, he is going to find a big one he's going to catch, but I had no idea. And I just, you're too good on that body of water. You know what I mean? I equated you two, and I think this is a huge compliment to the Johnstons. I said, it's like having an hour and a half left to fish on the St. Lawrence River at the best time of year. You put the best at it at the best time of year. You're one of the best at sight fishing. And I, and I thought you would you would do it. So anyways, you get it. You make me look like Kretzkin and thank you for that. But I I walk over and I'm standing with Overstreet at his truck and your family's in front of the Jumbotron while you caught you caught that fish. And to watch them all just freak out, it was it was really, it was really special. And it, it I think that weigh-in was special. You know, we were just talking about that too. To come on a Monday where you didn't know what to expect. I mean, we're on the small stage. Anyone going to show up? What was that feeling like when you pulled in and saw how many people actually showed up there for a Monday weigh-in? Oh, dude, it was it was crazy. That was one. I even told you that Monday morning. I said, "Man, I really wish we wouldn't have had the cancel day and we could have wrapped this thing up on Sunday because the Sunday weigh-in was 
I mean, Crazy. unbelievable. But whenever we, we got in, there was so many people on the floating dock where we checked in at that it was not floating anymore. There was water coming over the dock. So they had to get off the dock to, uh, to let us get our fish and come up there. And I mean, the, the place was packed and it was unreal to see how many of my, my friends and family, you know, that, Oh, we can't, you know, it's Monday. They were kind of slow playing it about not coming, you know, actually make it up there and, and to be there for it. It was, it was really special. And, I mean, dude, it was a, an emotional roller coaster of a, of a day. And I mean, you saw it on stage. I, I literally have rehearsed that speech in my head since I was like six or seven years old. And when you stuck that mic in front of my mouth, I, it was all gone. I remembered absolutely nothing. And it was just, you know, it was, it was really emotional. Not even for me, my whole family, uh, and everybody at home watching, it was, you know, there's a lot of work that went in to, to getting this and not just me. Um, there's a lot of sacrifices from my family, my, my wife, especially, you know, this is a, this is a rough job. You know, we're going yeah. a lot and it was, it's not my trophy. It's our trophy. That's for sure. Jake, you know, I think Jake cried when it happened. I, I, I did think. you hear Drew after you caught that seven fourteen? did you hear me sniffling? Oh yeah. Yeah. Me too. I couldn't, I said it's the biggest one this week. I couldn't even already talk. I, Dude, I mean, it was un. I mean, I get choked up. Like I get goosebumps right now, just t going back and reliving that moment. And, you know, I was, we were talking about this earlier on the podcast, how, you know, you use your poles to spring back. So you don't have to run your trolling motor. Like if you get too close to a bed and you pull back and then you grab your, your push pull to get the right angle so that you're in position, whether it's so your line can sit properly on the water or whatever it is. And when you said, Oh my God, you said that like four times back in that pocket. Once we left that stump and the courage it took to leave five big fish on a stump to go looking for some more with an hour and a half to go was like, like I, it almost made me sick to my stomach. I'm like, what is going to happen? Then when we got back there and you, and you started spotting big fish, I'm, I'm literally in my head going, this is going to happen. This is going to happen in the, in the two minutes left to go in the game. He's going to catch a freaking giant because they're enough back here to where you could find one in the right mood. And when you pulled up on the, on that 714 and you said, Oh my God, and you crouched down and you did everything you pitched in there. And when you finally hooked up with that fish, I'm telling you, like I was, I, it took everything that I had to stay focused on your fish, to continue filming and not throw the camera down and yeah. just throw both my hands up in the air going, please, please land this fish. And yeah. I was talking to Dave about, you didn't thumb lip the fish. You grabbed it with four fingers in the, in the mouth. And at that point I was like, Oh my God. And like you said, you didn't know what was going on. I knew that there's an all likelihood that was the winning fish. And dude, I had, I like had an inner meltdown. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, that, I said, that was a feeling that I, that I really can't explain. Um, but I think Gerald Swindle said it best one time. There's a 300 pound gorilla on your back and he's got his arms around your neck and it's just slowly getting tighter and tighter. Whenever I finally grabbed that fish, it was like he, 
he let go and jumped off and uh, it was it's an unreal real feeling um to have that it was just like a calming sense come over you after catching that one that was i knew i had a shot then uh, and felt like i had won but i didn't want to say anything and then you know i really wanted one more to make sure it, it was done but like i told you before we blasted off i said i'm content with however it shakes out and uh to to leave those five on that stump i was seriously doubting what 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 i was doing about the time i found that one because any one of those five you know they i could win the tournament right there and then left them and found found one that 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 worked out and it just you can't can't script it up any better than that to do it right at the end of the day typical fashion for me at least <laughs> does it shock you that i mean you weighed 105 pounds five ounces i think and you won the tournament broke the century mark does it shock you that that was your biggest fish you know what I mean? Like you did it with yeah. five and six pounders all week, which sounds, which is great, but you, you would think 105 pounds always going to get a nine one day or something like that. Yeah. That's what, and that's what I said the whole time. I said, dude, I really have not caught a big, one. Uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of you know, nine to 10 pounders in there. And I never, never, I, I saw one uh, on day three. And then I saw a few of them on the final day in the last few hours. But I, I really was thinking that, you know, we could blow this thing out if I could ever find one of those big ones, you know, especially the first day. I mean, you throw a nine-pounder in there, that's four more pounds. You know, <laughs> we got 36 pounds, and, you know, that's just a, a day that I'll never forget. But it, it was already an amazing day that I will 100% never forget because everything worked to a T exactly how it was supposed to. And and that was pretty much the, the case for the whole week. Uh, the only thing that, that didn't work out was the day two, I, I lost the one female. And on day three, I didn't catch that female right before I had to go in. But like me and Jake were talking about, we said it could have been a blessing in disguise. And it turned out it was a blessing in disguise because I started on her on day four and I caught her first thing. And, and that, you know, obviously if I don't catch that one, I don't win. You know, some of the highlights that I remember over a three day period were that people, the little nuggets that people didn't don't understand or didn't get to see or get to, you know, experience was a, the fish you caught that the, those two Billy Joe Bob's caught, in that boat, you went back to that bed. Caught Is that, that what he fish. called them, Billy Joe Bob's? <laughs> That's Something what I just like called them. Um, then you catching the seven pounder or catching the male, turning the male loose, it going back to the bed. You catching the seven pounder instead of the eight, nine, ten, or twelve pounder that was with it, and then going back. And the one that you missed was where you put that that little bobber that you made out mm -hmm. of that crankbait and you long cast it in there and had that fish hooked on your first cast came off. But what that really proved was really how, you know, you, you strategizing, making, putting that marker down, going back to it, making that long cast. And that could have easily, uh, you could have easily boated that fish. Then 
having all those fish come after 10, 10 30 in the morning and you talking about not having that one random fish that, that you, you count on. And, and on day four that morning at whatever it was, eight o'clock, eight fifteen, eight thirty, you catching that five or five and a half, whatever it was right off the bat. So that started day four off really well, but then, you know, you kind of ran out of fish. You spent a lot of time on that, on that big male that was guarding the fry. What was going through your mind? Let's, let's go to where you spent all that time on that male guarding the fry. What was going through your mind from there on until, until you got to Jurassic Park? Well, yeah, that, that male was the, that was the only one that I left out there that I spent time on and, and didn't either catch or end up coming back to catch. And I, I spent an hour and three minutes on it. And that's a long time. You, How and, do you know? Did you time it that like an hour and three minutes? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and still, even whenever I left, when I pulled my poles up and troll motored away, I thought that I could get that fish to bite the next flip. But I just felt like I needed to go. Um, and, you know, because I didn't want to kill any more time there because I'm still going to have to go look at the same amount of stuff but just not have the same amount of time. So if I stay there for another, say, 30 minutes, uh, I don't make it to that 714 at the end of the day and catch it and win the tournament. You know, I do catch the five and a quarter male, but we don't win. It, uh, wow. It, it's crazy how it, how it all worked out. And normally, I, and a lot of times I am super hard-headed whenever it comes to, you know, fish like that. But I feel like I'm going to catch it next flip. I'm going to catch it next flip. You know, I, you end up looking down and you're like, God, I've been here for an hour and 45 minutes. And I still don't have it. You know, it was, it was looking back at it now, I, I really don't know why I left it. Uh, and same with the fish on the stump. I don't know why I left those fish, but it was just one of those things that, you know, my gut told me to do it and, and we did it and it, it worked out, but I was sure love to go back the next day and catch that little joker. Cause he, <laughs> he made me pretty mad. It, it's the I, Garth Brooks song, unanswered prayers. You, you know yeah, what I mean? Like I really, yeah. cause I'm sure you were sitting there begging. Uh, I mean, people will talk to, Many people in their head to try and get a fish to bite. And, but if that fish had a bought bit, you, you, like you said, probably would have lost the tournament. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, at your level of skill and really all the elites skill level, it always comes down to decisions, right? And, and you make a decision and it's either going to swing one way or the other. And when you make the, I felt like, having spent so much time in mean, my shoulder was killing me on that, on that male guard in the fry. Cause I was holding that shot. Like the entire, I held it obviously now I know for an hour and three minutes <laughs> and it, you know, you spent so much time. I start going in my head, I'm sitting there going, how long is he going to do this? And what is he going to have to see? Or is he going to throw back in there one more time? That fish is going to, you know, swirl around and start swimming in circles. And then, he's going to spend more time trying to catch it because it's showing signs of aggression and then he never catches it or what's he going to do. But quite honestly, after you left that fish and you went down um, to that, to that windy bank uh, looking for, you know, bedding fish on that, on that windy area where Polinick was that one day, 
I felt like, you know, and I'm listening to Caleb Kufal catch big fish and I'm sitting there going, I'm thinking, you know, it was an emotional down for me. Cause I'm going, man, is this starting to slip away until you got to that stump? And really, even after you left that stump, you know, you didn't, I didn't know what was back up in that pocket. When you started seeing replenished big females on those beds and I just had in my gut, like he's going to swing once in here and he's going to, he, this something is about to happen. And this is going to happen in the two minute drill. And you stayed really, really calm. And again, I've said this a million times since it happened. It was really impressive. The expertise that you showed and every little thing that you did from the way you shook your rod to the way you, 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 you set the hook, the way you managed your boat control, all that stuff. It was a masterful, masterful experience. And I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy. I was there to see it all go down and thanks for the hug. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. it uh, you've got a pretty good little, little role. Like, then two, they might know these things too because you're uh, what two, three and two one. now, three and, and one. one, three and one on the season, including the classic oh, three and wow. one. Yeah, I hear you. Starting to get weird. <laughs> yeah, did you know about his record when, when he stepped into your boat on day two? Did you know he had been with Christy the whole time at the classic and and uh, and you know how the kind of season he's been having? I knew he had been with Christy and I knew that he was with Christy um, whenever he led the classic before and come up short. And I saw that whole, whole deal go down whenever Christy was doing his uh, victory lap, you know, Jake going up there and, yeah. and hugging him. And uh, you and I, is Drew still there? Are you still there, Drew? I knew that he could have been. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, he kind of froze up. We got to we got to go back four years too, Drew, because I owed you one, and I I, I haven't said this I don't think to very many people, but Drew's rookie season at Lake Lanier, I don't even remember. He had like three minutes to go, and he pulled up to this rock point across the bay from where the the takeoff was and check in. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going, no one ever catches one on the last cast, especially like where they go to some area really close to the dock. It just never, hardly ever happens. So he pulls up to this spot and there's three minutes to go. It's his rookie season. I'm the, I think I was the first camera guy you ever had at the elite level. And I stayed in my seat, like, like it was a really poor decision on, on, on me I stayed in my seat. My camera was sitting between my legs. He throws one time in there and hooks up on a four pounder. And I barely got my camera. I think I got him, you know, boat flipping it or lipping it or whatever. And I, for four years or three and a half years now, I felt bad about (laughs) not doing that because it's my responsibility. Every moment these guys have, it's my responsibility to capitalize on that. So they get the TV time and the credit that they deserve for everything that they do. And, and I told him, I think it was at the classic or somewhere. I told him at the tanks, I said, man, I owe you one. And I, I want to apologize for three years ago for missing that opportunity 
Um, but I think we made up for it, Drew. <laughs> we absolutely made up for it, 100%. Yes, that was – you were the first cameraman I ever had in my book on the Elite Series. That was at uh, Lake Lanier, the second tournament, the third day, first time I was in the top ten. And that was still to this day – one of the clutchest fish catches I've ever had. And uh, you, you, you downplayed it a little bit more than, than what actually happened. You got, you got it. You got the most of everything. And uh, it wasn't as bad as what you said, but it, uh, I remember that like it was yesterday, but yeah, we definitely got some, some good stuff this week. We made up for it and, and some. And more. Yeah. One of the things I've heard you say since you won is, uh, I thought I think I heard you say it to Panger on Bass Talk Live, but you said I have I felt it coming and I have felt it in the past. What what does it feel like and at what moment did you feel it in this event? I really can't explain <laughs> what it it feels like. Um but I have felt it before. I've felt it. Uh, this is the fourth time that I felt it once was at, uh, the red river, um, in an open. And I actually told my, my dad that I, I was going to win before the tournament started. Once happened at Gunnersville in 2020, I told my wife that I felt like I was going to win and everything worked out great until day three. And you know, it just, I, I fought it. I didn't let it, let it be. Um, and then again at, at, uh, Champlain, uh, last year, I, uh, I could feel it and, but you don't know what it is at that point. Um, now I, now I know what it is and the only way for it to go wrong is if I get in the way. And this week we just kind of, kind of let it happen. I was, I was never really, I mean, I, I would lie to you and say, I would be lying if I told you Monday, I was not stressed out at one o'clock. Um, <laughs> I had four bass, um, but I wasn't that stressed. Like I, I just felt like I was going to, to find what I needed to find, just keep pushing and, uh, you know, we'll make it happen before I would, I would try to, to make it develop whenever it, it wasn't supposed to, and, you know, end up making some, you know, critical mistakes that, that would cost me the opportunity. But I, I mean, I really do wish I could explain, you know, how it, how it feels, but, and you can probably ask some different people, me and Paul kind of talked about it and it's the same way. He's like, man, you, I, I don't know how to, to describe it to you, but you'll know whenever it happens. And, and now I know what, what everybody's talking about. I mean, everybody that's won one of these things will tell you the exact same thing. You know, it was just one of those things that, you know, you felt like it was, it was going to go down. And on day one of the tournament, I think uh, about nine o'clock, I, uh, I told my marshal, that we're going to win it or if it keeps going like this, you know, we'll win. And I've never told a marshal that before ever, 
but it, I mean, it was just one of those things where I said, you know, I'm going to leave this fish and I'm going to go over here to this other fish. And it wasn't, hopefully we'll catch her and then come back. It was, I'm going to go over here, catch that one. And then we'll catch this one and go to the other one. And that's exactly how it went. And that never happens ever. And it, it was just, it was just awesome for it to all, all work out like it did. But I will tell you that there's a little tidbit that nobody has gotten yet. The goods. I am fairly superstitious. Not going to lie. So after day one, I was leading. I did not shave. I wore the same shirt and the same pants, same jacket, both same both jackets, same shoes, same socks, same everything for the whole rest of the event. And you think yeah. that helped you? I'm superstitious I too. I, I wore I, I wore my lucky. Nothing. I wore my lucky face mask, my lucky hoodie. Like if I'm in the lead boat on day four, I put all my lucky stuff on too. But I remember a t- I remember at one time on day four, the morning of day four, on a live update. I remember specifically you saying, you know, I'm gonna go back here. I've got a few spots that I'm gonna go take a look at, see if there's new fish on there, or see if there's a fish that I left behind on there, back on a bed. And I remember you saying, if they're not, and we run out of fish back here, we're just going to go, we're just going to go put our head down and look for some more. And I felt like at that time you had already told yourself, you'd already prepared yourself for if things don't go the right way that morning, you already, you already knew what you were going to go do at some point during the rest of the day. And there was a calming effect that came across my mind um, when you said that, and then as you went back, I, I keep calling that place Jurassic Park because of that stump. Stop it. That's Caleb Kufal's favorite movie. And you're <laughs> going to ruin it on him. <laughs> um, but I felt like when you got back to that area, that was one of those moments where you didn't have to change strategies. You didn't even have to really change locations. You went back to a place you hadn't been since day two. And then they were there. So you got back into the groove that you were in on day two and day three and boom, day four with an hour and a half left to go, you were doing the same things and it worked. Yeah. It, I, I 100% agree with you. It, uh, honestly, I still can't believe that there was that many fish there because the amount of people that fished in there, competitors and non-competitors that whole week, it, it was unbelievable. But, you know, we found one that was ready to do it. And I was very, very glad for it, or very thankful for it. On day one, you told me at the end of the dock, was that just us kind of jacking with each other like we often do? But I mean, I always give you a hard time on the day one, but you said, I'm going to, I'm going to catch them on day one this time around. And I kind of said, I'll believe it when I see it or something being the jerk that I am. Were you, was that just jacking around or did you really feel like, man, I'm on the fish to win this tournament? Um, I, I knew I was on, on the fish to do good. Uh, but I think I told you, I said, I think this time I'm going to try to act like I'm 12 pounds behind yep. today. Yeah. Uh, and you know, maybe I should do that all the time. It'd be great. But I, I didn't know that it was going to be, as good i didn't know that the area that i found was as good as it was um you know with it reloading and 
you know, all the fish that I had marked that weren't on bed, all the females, when they, they ended up being on bed, you know, right there close to where I marked them, it was just like a, at that point it was like, yeah, we can do it this week. And, you know, then it was just a domino effect. One other thing that I've stood out to me in this event, and we talked about it, the camera guys talked about it. Do you realize the incredible, I mean, it's not just the hook set. I mean, a lot of people have hard hook sets and, and, and that's not always a good thing in some situations, but everybody's got buddies, got a hard hook set. But this weekend, what really stood out to me fishing wise was the incredible inertia or whatever your hook set is followed with. You literally continue the movement of the fish. And there's times, I mean, where, it looks like that fish is a pound because just to you're used to somebody setting the hook and having a delay with a bigger fish, but those fish end up coming in the boat. Is that something you've worked on or is that something that's just always been part of you? Uh, that's just something that's always kind of, kind of been, been a part of, but like where those fish were in those pads and, and how you know close I was to a lot of them, you couldn't, if you didn't keep their head up and coming, you know, they would get caught in the pads and then have the opportunity to come off. So I was taught whenever I was a little kid by uh, one of my buddies that, that taught me a lot about bass fishing. His saying is apply maximum pressure. And that's kind of what I do. I have no drag. Uh, it's tightened all the way down. It might slip a little bit on a hook set, but apply maximum pressure and, you know, I, I think getting them to the boat as quick as possible and, and grabbing them, the less opportunity there are to, to come off. And, you know, we, still, though, a lot of times you hook that many big fish in one week, like you feel like you're going to have to lose yeah one one of them, you know. Uh, and fortunately enough, we, we called every one of them that, you know, that – that bit and that never really happened. It's like going to a punching tournament and getting 20 bites in four days and catching all 20 of them. You know, that's just unheard of. You know, you're, you're supposed to lose like six or 8% of, of the bites you have flipping. I mean, that's if you're dialed in with everything, but it can be a lot worse than that. It's just, that just shows you when, when it's your time, it's your time. I 100% agree to that and you hear it's kind of cliche when people say that but it is it's 100 percent true it, it there's nothing you could do about it but i and i meant to mention it on stage but like i said i, I lost everything <laughs> bill shed texted me on sunday which, or on saturday night the first the night before the first day of practice and the owner of spend, afco for those that don't know the owner of afco and uh, it was still, like, really sweet that he had my number. I was like, wow, this is, I'm big league. Uh, Bill has never texted me, just so you know. Casey, yes, Bill, no. <laughs> uh, I got to spend all day three of the Classic with him in the expo because we didn't make the, uh, the cut. He told me, he said, I know that the last tournament was one of your worst, but I feel that the next tournament will be your best. And – Wow. It's, it's kind of weird looking back on it now, you know, he called that a week before, before it happened. And, and like, I, I didn't tell my wife until, until later because I didn't want to jinx it or anything, but 
I mean, that that's awesome. Number one, that, that Bill Shedd texted me, and then number two, that he, he you know, called it. But just taking the time out to, to text me is is unreal, and that's why I owe everything to Afco. I mean, it really is a family, and uh, truly, I'm I'm gonna grow old with them over there. I can promise you. That's my hope as well, Jake. You got anything else, Drew? Congratulations! It was a long time coming. You've been so consistent. You're a, a great guy, a great angler. I could see in your family's uh, emotional output at the dock, at the weigh-ins each day. They kept getting closer and closer. And then, you know, I could almost feel their reaction when you caught that 714. I remember telling you, if you were in a football stadium right now with 100,000 people, like the whole place would have erupted when you caught that fish. And that's how it felt. Um, and, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy. Just, man, congratulations. It's been a long time coming, dude. I appreciate it. And by the sounds of it, if we weren't so loud after I caught that bass, we might have been able to hear them from the parking <laughs> lot. <laughs> but it was it was a phenomenal week. And I, it still really hasn't set in yet, honestly. I, it'll set in at Chickamauga. When day one blast off, when you say elite series champion, I'm not, I'm not coming to day one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You weren't going to be there on Monday either. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was you got to say that. That was yeah. brutal. Uh, that was brutal. And I, I feel bad for it because we, that night we talked about, we had dinner with the, with the camera crew. Well, lo and behold, who's sitting right across from us, but, but both Drew's and, and I just, being the dick that I am, I said, yeah, I'm not going to be there tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm sure they'll get somebody else. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I got a flight. I got stuff to do. And I swear to you, I walked out of there and in my head, I'm like, I'm going to text him when I get to my car and be like, Hey, sorry. I'm, you know, I'll be there. Don't worry. I, I didn't text him. And then I saw him the next morning and I'm sorry. You shouldn't worry about who's going to MC your victory the night before your victory, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad good. you, I'm glad you got it. And I will introduce you hopefully on day one at Chickamauga, but I know you have, it is one fifty nine. just revealing to people that we pre-record this. You have a, oh, it's two o'clock now you're late. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All. I appreciate it. And uh, Jake, I'm looking forward to having you in the boat again. Oh, wow. Well, look, let's all try to do knuckles. Everybody knuckles. Can we do this? Oh my Ooh. goodness. Hey, Hey, I love it. Tell Uncle Bob to take it away. Would you do that for me, Drew? Tell Uncle Bob to take it away, and we'll be done with this whole podcast. Take it away, Uncle Bob. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?